0: Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast where we focus on the physical, financial, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode we're talking about a hot issue hiring an associate with Dr. Mike Pownell. I'm your host Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Management. Mike Pownell, DVM MBA is a Canadian-based veterinarian and a partner in Oculus Insights That company is focused on helping veterinarians and other members of the animal healthcare industry improve their businesses. Thank you, Dr. Pownell, for joining us today to talk about hiring an associate.
1: It's always a pleasure. Thank you for uh, inviting me back.
0: Well, Everybody knows that finding and hiring an associate is very difficult in equine practice right now. So I think you guys have uh, gone through this some this year. So can you tell me how your practice has worked through this issue and any tips that you might have for others who are hiring?
1: Absolutely. So we, um, when we entered the pandemic, um, we entered it with um, 12 vets. Uh, 11 vets if I don't include myself because I don't practice very much anymore and we left uh, we're leaving the pandemic with 16. Uh, unfortunately we lost two veterinarians they moved into companion animal which is a a challenge in our in the profession in general Um, but we you know but we've gained seven veterinarians this year alone and you know and and I know when we were talking about recording this I said you know you know, is this just a, a situation in Ontario, Canada, or what are lessons learned for other people? And I guess it started with um, uh, a veterinarian reached out to us, I'm gonna say October, 2020, and she was from Germany. And she said, I, I've spent time in Canada. Um, I've actually v- volunteered at your practice many years ago. Do you know if there are any jobs? and we were thinking yes we do Yes, yes, exactly where there's a job and you know and so so the challenge with her and you know long story short she did join her practice in march of this year an outstanding veterinarian from the southern part of germany just outstanding and what we have what we learned is is there's a couple of things so um the veterinary college she went to was not navly certified Oh, so and that is the big challenge of a lot of them is have they passed the navley boards? And when we, you know, her joining our practice made us realize, you know, there's a bigger world outside of our door. And and so, um, so there's a couple of ways of approaching this. So there was the, we had to figure out immigration aspects of this. Um, we had to figure out licensing. And so this is where I would um, advise anybody listening to them is to talk to their state or provincial licensing uh you know regulatory uh, board and see if there are species specific license so what we're able to do in the province of ontario they realize that there's a demand for vets and they with uh, on their approval it's not you know uh, carte blanche or everybody do it it is say if you you can hire somebody who's restricted to practice equine only and so what she did was wrote the equine version of the navly and then once she passed that she did the equine clinical proficiency examination so as students in a navly course those are things we would have done but we'd have done it from all species so she's licensed specifically for equine And like most equine vets and who's a lifelong horse person, she's like, I'm fine with that. Don't want to do dogs and cats. I'm fine. I'm the same way. So so that was great. And so what we've had to learn is, you know, our our operations manager, had to really get smart about how immigration works. And there's a procedure and I won't go into that because that's going to be different from everybody, but you know, um, a veterinarian is a desired, um, profession. And so, there's, you know, it's gonna be hard for somebody to say, no, we don't want more veterinarians. And, and so, I think that's fine. The other thing is, we were um, cold called by a recruiter. And I, I have always been hesitant about recruiters because I was always thinking, well, we, you know, we never had a problem getting vets up until about two years ago. And then I thought, you know, the cost benefit analysis is, you know, Should I pay what they're going to, what they're going to charge? And I'm going to be the first to admit, if there's any recruiters listening to this, I'm, I'm like humble pie hat in hand saying I, I totally misjudged it. And so what this woman was very smart about, she is Mexican. She lives in Ontario, but with the North American free trade agreement, or the now called the United States, Mexico, Canada, free trade agreement veterinarians are able to work in each of the countries so as a canadian i can work in the states if i'm hired by an american veterinary practice i can work in mexico and all three of our nationalities can work in any uh, each of our jurisdictions yeah. and so all literally what they have to do is uh have a copy of their diploma have a letter of offer of employment that states when uh, the duration of their employment and the wages they're going to be receiving, and you go to the border and you present it, and you get a temporary—I uh, think it's called a T1 visa. That's what it is in the United States. I'm not sure what it's called in Canada, but you get a temporary work permit. Now, so that gets you working in the country. This, so we had one person, and because of COVID, we did all our interviews over Zoom. So we did multiple interviews of different people because nice to have somebody come to your practice and spend time with you and but so we had to depend on zoom and so uh dr rafael gomez joined us in april may i guess it was and he had um attended the university in the city of mexico city which is a navly certified school and he did write the navly so he was able to come right across boom you know the next day he's able to work but what we realize is that there is a whole population of veterinarians in Mexico who are eager to come into North America. Now, not all of them have done the NAVLI, some are doing it. Um, so it's the kind of thing of one of two things. A, is your juris- would your jurisdiction allow you to have a species-specific license for one? Um, or B, um, you may need to um, identify somebody that might be a great fit for your practice and uh, have some kind of encouragement, whether it's a bonus or whatever, to get them to pass the NAVLE. I did learn that there's a hesitancy for people to write the NAVLEs in parts of Mexico, um, but their education, I mean, the, the university in Mexico City is a, it's a, it's a NAVLE certified school. It's the same as ours in North America. Yeah. in the United States and Canada. and um, yeah, so I mean, you may just need to work with somebody and say, "Hey, you know, write the NaVli. Here's a bonus perhaps if you complete the NaVli, and you know we'll we'll get you to come up here." So once they come up here, and I, and I think we just don't think that, oh, yeah, there's a whole other population in another country who's part of this free trade agreement, yeah. Then what I also learned is that um, some of the, we haven't had to investigate it, but there are about, I'm thinking, four to six universities in the United Kingdom and the university in Utrecht in the Netherlands are NAVLE certified. So I think that's an area to look at. Um, I think there's uh, the vet school in Dublin. I believe the one in Edinburgh and the one in London, and there may be others in the UK that I'm, I'm missing are, are navily certified. And so, yeah, the, so they can be licensed in North America. It's just a matter of figuring out the immigration for your jurisdiction.
0: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of floored because you know, when I was thinking, I did not know that the free trade agreement, I mean, I knew it was in place, but I didn't understand how it worked with veterinarians across the countries. And um, especially with uh, veterinarians coming from Europe, I mean that a lot of veterinarians have come back and forth over the years. I just didn't, you know, even think about the NAVLI. Yeah. Uh, But
1: so the ones from Europe are not necessarily allowed to, you know, just come into the United States or Canada or Mexico. um, I can't speak for Mexico, but Canada, I can. And just, you know, practice uh, there, there was, you know, if the vet from uh, Germany, for example, there was steps that we had to do uh, immigration wise. But as I said, it's, you know, a veterinarian is, is, an, is an attractive profession and it, there's less barriers to, you know, to, to, to climb over to get them to come into here. But, you know, so, yeah, so, I mean, it, those are the things you've got to look at is, A, are they NAVLI accredited school? Have they p- passed the NAVLI? So that's the biggest hurdle. And then B, you know, what you need to do immigration-wise to to have them come here? And so it, there's a process. So, I, you know, I, I know with the, the veterinarian from Germany, it took us four months, I think, from start to finish, and it, it cost us some extra money because we had to pay for immigration lawyers, what have you. And And that would be my other recommendation is to spend the money on an immigration lawyer. They know the system just like you're going to call a veterinarian to look at your colic because we know what's going on. They have that subject matter expertise that they're going to cut through a lot, and it's worth it. It's totally worth it.
0: I'm going to go back to one thing that you mentioned that I guess I did not think about, but in trying to hire an associate, I having one that doesn't physically come into your clinic and interview live That seems tough. What were the kinds of things that you uh, asked or went through with your, whoever was doing the hiring process to ensure they were a fit?
1: Yeah. So we ended up hiring five of the, of the seven, five were done by zoom. And one of them I met for the first time in person, when I picked up her and her husband at the airport in Toronto, I was like, hi, (laughs) I'm Mike.
0: So, so what were the key things on those non in-person interviews that helped you make a decision?
1: Yeah, no. And I think that's the, the other part I wanted to talk about in terms of hiring vets and even support staff. Is just, we have a real strong sense of what our company culture is, our practice culture. And so we don't, just because they're a DVM or any kind of specialist, we don't hire just because of the the accomplishment we want people that are going to be a good fit for our practice and so and uh, the first interview is done with myself and our operations manager and it's a brief you know 30 to 30 to 60 minute interview and um we get a sense pretty quickly if they're going to be a fit you know um you know first thing obvious thing is um language proficiency are they comfortable speaking in english um, I'm liking zoom for just even any kind of interview now because it, um, a, it tells me how comfortable they are of technology B, how comfortable they are presenting themselves in an awkward situation, which is three in the morning dealing with a colic and a strange client. So right off the bat, that's going to tell us a lot about them as a person. Um and it's funny because you can have these these calls and I remember several of them and you were having this conversation and we're on within five minutes, you're like, I I really like this person. Like, I mean, this is the kind of person I'd like to go out and have a coffee with or spend some time with. You can pick that up on a Zoom call pretty quick. And then what we do is if we like them, we invite them back and we we basically set up about I'm gonna say about three more Zoom calls with various people in our organization. So I always say, like when I'm hiring somebody or hiring a veterinarian, I don't hire them, you know, sort of I'm the gatekeeper. If they can pass through the first part and I think, you know, I think they could be a a good fit. There's a there's something about them. I think the rest of the team will like. And then I invite the team and it's a mixture of of veterinarians, you know, uh, support staff of different types, meet the person online. And they're the ones that are going to have the sense like, you know what, I, I, can, I can work with this person, this person's got a great personality, they're going to fit into our culture, and, and they make the decision. I have learned um, a few years back that if I make the arbitrary decision, it never works. <laughs> But one of two things happens. One, I will, I remember one person I wanted to hire and i just like, it was a bad interview. And they, sh- this person was recommended to me and everybody's like, oh no, she's amazing. She volunteered at a practice they knew at. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, give her another chance. They did a working interview and they were like, you have to hire her. And yeah, you know, she's been a long-term employee, just an outstanding star. And we've had other people where I say, we've had to, we yes, let's hire them. And the staff's like, uh-uh no, no. And I'm like, no, 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 they're fine. And they're like, no, no, no. And inevitably it just doesn't work out. The, the team knows who would be part, who'd be a good part of the team, who they want to work with. And if you have a, you know, a pretty, um, um, strong culture and you know what your culture is, that's really what we're trying to hire. The skills we can teach, um, what you're hiring for is the attitude. They have the attitude. You can teach them anything.
0: Now, see, that's really important because I I believe, Mike, that um Dr. Powell, you all have a nice program when someone comes into your practice of mentoring.
1: Yes, very strong. Yeah. And so, so describe uh, that. Yeah. So when they start, I will say to them for the next four to six weeks, you're just gonna hang out with the other vets. I don't expect you to bill a, a bill a thing. I just want you to learn how we work with each other. I want you to learn how we communicate with our clients. I want the clients to meet you so when you do go on call and you show up for an emergency, they're going, who the heck is this? They they know that you're there. Um, I want you to see how we work with our vet assistants. I want you to see how we work with our receptionists. I I want you to see how we do things, That but at the same time, we're going to get you to do stuff because we want to learn from you. I mean, everybody's got great experiences, new things. And one of the advantages of bringing in vets from other, other parts of the world and other parts of the country and, and North America is you pick up new things. And so, you know, all of a sudden he, you, you get in your rut of doing something and somebody who may be out of the school for two years and maybe went to a, you know, you know let's say UC Davis or somewhere on the West Coast. And, you know, the, this is how we approach colleagues. You're like, oh, that's cool. All right. Let's, let's incorporate that into our practice. And so it's yeah. not just like you're coming here and you're going to learn it our way. It's like we want to learn your way too.
0: That's awesome.
1: And, and, and the, some of it too is just the medication. Like the vet that came from Germany, like a lot of the medications we have and our approach to medication is different from what they do there. So, you know, when you're sitting and dealing with a, with a, a colic that's, you know, down in a stall, you don't want to be at your truck trying to pull up bottles and understand what medication they use. So we really take the time so when they do go to an emergency or they first do their, do their calls, they, they they have this comfort level. And, you know, the small things aren't stressing the them out because they get it and they feel supported. So that's- this is a lifetime investment, you hope. And, you know, and so take your time with it.
0: So let me go back to the fact that you were skeptical of, of finding, you know, uh, using a recruiter. So you said you've hired seven vets. Yeah. How did you find all these associates?
1: So four of them came from the recruiter. So four of them are from Mexico. Um, and, you know, we interviewed, I would say, probably 12 and you know she got to know us after a while and some she'd say i have a candidate i don't think it's experienced enough for you i'm going to tell them they need to do this and that and maybe i'll approach you in a year or two about them um the other one is just keeping yourself open for opportunities and so um we we got you know an email from Somebody, uh, one of our newest vet, and her husband is a surgeon at Ontario Veterinary College, a new surgeon there. So she had moved into the area. so she so this is where it's a small world. One of the new vets that we had hired from Mexico had spent time with this this other vet um, doing a, a, a field service internship at a university in the states. We live in a very small world, this vet world. And so, you know, so all of a sudden, this one person was like, "I'm looking for a job." and then person B says, "Well, hey, I just got hired by McKee Pownall. Talk to them." And, and then before you know, it, it was like, "Well, all right. and then it, it it opens up doors. So what I have learned from this experience is a is to get rid of the bias that if they don't come from the United States or Canada, you know, they're not good enough. and because my argument is, oh, they they may be better." um they have outstanding work ethic they taught us a lot and are teaching us a lot and yes it's more expensive than what we initially had considered to hire people but it's in that the state of the world right now everything's a little bit more expensive and we have to have unique approaches to things so what worked before doesn't work now so fine
0: well those are some Wonderful tips, Dr. Powell, on trying to find an associate. I, I know one vet had told me that there have been over 400 associate positions opened on the AAEP job board this year yeah. that have gone unfilled. Yep. So this may be a, a a way for some of these practices to find someone to come in with your caveats of this may not be as simple as just saying move here.
1: No, you know, uh, through Oculus, we know we do a lot of work internationally, as you know, and we're working with a couple of small animal practices in Dubai of all places. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at their website before we had the first meeting with them, and I looked at all of their vets, and because Dubai is, you know, it's in the middle of the desert, and they don't really develop a lot of their vets, and vets are from all over Europe, uh, Asia, and... And I was like, and I talked to them. I said, how do you find vets from like Croatia and Hungary? And they're like, they're fine. They're, yeah, absolutely. And I just think we have this bias in North America of it's not an Abley school, that is not good enough. And it's like, yeah, that could be. But I think if you're, you're um, if, if, you know, if you go through the state or provincial legislation, there are steps they have to go through and you know and so if it's good enough for them to accept them if it's a species only or if they have to write the navly later maybe you've got to sponsor them um to do the navly at a later time that's fine i just it's just we we need to open up the doors to how we hire people
0: and that's such a great tip right now especially as people are going into this uh, next season when you know practices are getting busier more veterinarians are retiring and fewer graduates are coming into equine practice
1: 100 and i think what you're touching upon now is this one thing to attract them but you know you better have the culture that retains them and you know i still hear stories i was talking to an another vet a couple of weeks ago talking about the practice that they know you know and, and i don't want to reveal too much and And I was listening to it, going, "It's 2021. Like that stuff doesn't fly anymore. It just doesn't fly. Like we, we, you, we've got to change our perspective because it is definitely a buyer's market now. And all of these associates, whether it's companion animal, equine, food animal, they can work anywhere they want. And salaries are going up. Signing bonuses are are happening. Um, If we don't have an attractive workplace that accommodates this new generation of veterinarians what luck do you what chance do you have to keep them right so it's uncomfortable it's really uncomfortable and it was uncomfortable for me when i was exploring it um but often when it's when things are the most uncomfortable is when great things come out of it and i'm, I'm so glad that we we took the dive in
0: well I tell you what, this is probably going to be one of the most popular podcasts we have done on the business of practice this year, <laughs> simply because there are so many veterinarians out there who are at that, oh my gosh, I need help.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, you know, I was talking to a vet in uh, Switzerland earlier today. Anywhere you talk to, you, Australia, Europe, North, South America, everybody is looking for vets um and uh, we all know that the amount of graduates from navaly schools that want to go into equine is about 1.5 percent and like it's probably about 100 p- students a year yeah, that's not a lot so it, it's totally a it's a it's a it's a buyer's market right now or a seller's market i guess really
0: well and i want to just touch on i know you and i have have talked this before but when you talk about the culture of your practice You are a firm believer in giving your associates support staff. Yes. Um, Can you talk just a little bit about how you make sure to hire good support staff? Because that's another thing when veterinarians get to the breaking point, if they can hire an assistant or a certified vet tech, then that often can get them over that hump. And then to have more vets coming in and have staff to support them, how how do you all handle that?
1: Yeah, so I think it's not just the, the the technicians or the registered technicians, but it's also the receptionists. It's like it really is a team. I mean, in any veterinary practice, I truly believe it is made by the receptionists. And I think that's one of the hardest positions in in a, in a vet practice. Uh, and so, you know, that's got to be a good experience. The information they collect on what what the vet's going to go see, terms of payment, directions, all these little things, you know, minimize, you know, the scheduling, the flow of the day, so they're not going 30 miles one direction and then 60 miles the next direction. Is you know, they're sort of keeping it in an area, so that minimizes a lot of stress right off the bat. And then having a vet assistant with you who can set up the equipment you know we always think of our assistants as you know sort of the in between of the vets and the client because sometimes the vets focused on what the problem is and they're explaining things to the client and the technician can look at the client and go they're not getting any of that (laughs) you know so they can go to the vet in the truck and just say i think you got to go back and explain this a little bit differently they're just not catching it and so yeah and it gives you time as a veterinarian when you're on the road to maybe do some of your billing do your phone calls your follow-up so when the day is over there's less to do and you know and so yes a lot of people will say well you know when is it worthwhile to have a uh, a vet with an assistant and i'm i'm like as soon as possible because i also think if you've got an experienced technician who's been with the practice for a while that's who you put with the new vet because they know the clients that adds a little bit of consistency they're the ones that can talk to the vet and say okay know this person is like this or this way and so when you're talking to them or her relationship with her horses is this way and you know they're going to help the veterinarian avoid all these landmines yeah you know and and we all have clients like that that just have their idiosyncrasies and that's fine um that's what makes it interesting but if you're forewarned you can be prepared
0: yeah, and and that goes back to what you were talking about before. These people fit in the culture of the yeah. practice too. So you just don't you just don't hire somebody off the street. They need to go through that interview process too.
1: And I think what happens with the, the I see this so often. I don't think it's just um, veterinarians, but we're desperate. I need a vet. I need a technician. And you just basically hire the first person that says yes. And you're not really doing your homework or you're not really selecting for the what you want for the position. And so you hire them and then about two months later, you're going, oh, gosh, I made a mistake. Like this is this. They're disruptive. They're not fitting the culture. Clients don't like them. All right. How do we get out of this one? And so one of two things happen. A, you get out, you get rid of them and you've got to start all over again and, or you maintain them just because you're, um, you know, you're cautious about letting go of somebody. It's still busy. You don't know how it's going to be without that extra body. And then a year later you're like, you know, the culture isn't what it used to be. People are pretty sour. Clients are complaining about this person. And then you got, you know, so the time to hire that right person, I think is going to be the same no matter what. It's whether you want to invest it up front to get that right person who will, blend well with your practice or one that you're going to have to um fire um or you know or they're going to quit on you and then you got to start again or all the little fires that you're you're putting out because you know the clients are upset the staff is upset so you know i'd rather say you know what yeah we're drowning it's the spring we're so busy and we don't have another vet wait to get the right one because it's like dating. You just, you know, it's, you don't get the right mate, partner. It'll come back and it'll haunt you.
0: Yeah. And that I
1: sound like a really old white guy when I said that, but it's, you know, the point.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's, I think it sounds like the voice of experience is what it sounds like. Cause we've all been through the hiring the wrong person. And then you try to mold that person into what you thought. They were, and it's always a waste of time.
1: You know, we're really big believers in our core values and our core purpose, and people have their own values, and you people can't switch their values for a job. They are who they are. And so you really got to do your due diligence to say, will they fit with us and what we're all about? And I have had veterinarians say, hey, I've got somebody that works with me they're outstanding. I interview them. I'm like, I don't see the attraction at all. Two different practices, two different expectations. And that's fine. And, and just like, I know I've, I've, I have recommended vets to other people and they're like, yeah, yeah, not our type. Fair. hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And again, that's, that's important that don't be so desperate to hire someone that you get the wrong person.
1: You no, know, and, and it's painful, and I, notice, I know what it's like when you're drowning, but I also know when you talk to um, your veterinarians and any of your support staff, and you're like, all right, is this person who is causing us such grief, are they adding more stress, more work to our day, or would life be easier without them? And inevitably people will say, you know what, if I didn't have that hanging over me, I'd be a happier person. And I think I, that's, that's a secret for retaining people too, is keeping that harmonious work environment. And really it's like a garden. you got to, you, you've got to cultivate it. you got to nurture it all the time to make sure it stays good.
0: Yeah. I've been in work situations where the staff has basically said, we will do extra work if we don't have this problem to deal with.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, you know, and so I think, um, the other thing I'm gonna, I would recommend to vets, too, is, you know, we're short of vets. Okay, so how can we use our support staff better? How can we use our processes better? You know, one a couple of years ago, we really started looking at how we schedule. I'm like, you know, it's nuts how far we will drive some days. And, you know, I would rather, if you know, if I am in, you know, east of the practice 20 miles east, and and you know if I can book everybody in that same area that day, and I, I mean I can almost cut the coffee in half or even eliminate it in some cases, and you'll make more money in that day, and you'll have a happier vet because they're actually not driving all over the place. They're in an area and they can get a lot more done in the day. Um, you know, windshield time is not productive in a lot of ways. And, I think
0: and you're the one that likened it to to attorneys. What are the billable hours, and what are the hours they spend driving?
1: Yeah, and and so if we're if we start looking at how effective we are, and 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 how we're servicing our clients, I'm sure all of us, myself included, can still find gains there. And so maybe you don't need a vet as desperately as you need when you start looking at like, all right, can we can we tighten up how we schedule? Can we bring a technician in with the veterinarian so our vets can work quicker? Maybe that's what you need more than anything is good vet assistance to help your vets be more effective.
0: That's a good point. Well, Mike, is there anything else that you would like to add to, uh, to this today, Dr. Powell?
1: No, I just, I just, to me is, I think, really working on what your culture is and knowing it. So when you're interviewing people, you can interview them specifically to see if they're going to be a match for your practice that way.
0: Well, I I, I have a feeling your phone and your email are going to be buzzing some <laughs> after this to, uh, for people looking to uh, tap into some of your uh, knowledge on this, because it's it, this has become a serious problem. But I think you... You may have some good points here that may help not every practice. but
1: No, might help no, because I think some of it, it, it may be purely where I'm living in the regulatory system, but I think every one of us can open our eyes and go, where are other sources for vets? And not just what we've always assumed.
0: Well, and that's, again, thank you so much, Dr. Powell, for joining us today. And we want to thank our audience for uh, joining us today. And I'm sure that you're going to listen to this one again and take down some notes. And we invite you to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear each episode of the Business of Practice. And if you have any questions or suggestions, email me at kbrown at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.